Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe in a power greater than what you are going through when you don't know what to do. right when you don't know what to do just keep on breathing from beautiful huntington beach california on the healthylife.net radio network heard in all 50 states and 135 countries all positive talk radio and i'm dave the caregiver's caregiver at caregiverdave.com along with usually my lovely co-host adrian gruberg from the caregiver space but she's moving and we all know the stresses that happen when you move she just can't put another thing on her plate, so we're going to miss her. But we are coming to you live on uh, many, many networks and many platforms. And we are proud to be voted number one a caregiver podcast on the top 50 on Player FM, as well as number two podcast on Feedspot out of the top 60, and number two podcast on CaringVillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. Brooks Kenny, newly launched Brain Guide, addresses immense need for brain health information insights about cognitive impairment and Alzheimer's disease. And believe me, I'm one of those that is concerned because my mother had dementia and none of us want to go there, do we? That's why I have my long-term care policy in place uh, and I'm doing a bunch of stuff to exercise this brain of mine. Uh, millions of Americans who worry about memory or brain health now have a powerful platform to help them find their way to helpful resources and a path forward brain guide by us against Alzheimer's. We're so lucky and happy to have her on the show. But before I get into that, I want to thank last week's guest, Lisa Evers. What is energy healing and can it really help caregivers and loved ones? And just a reminder, all of our previous shows are on the healthylife.net um, archives and also on our website Caregiver Dave and 25 or 26 other global audio and video platforms. All right, enough of that. Brooks Kenny serves as an executive director of the Women's Network at Us Against Alzheimer's. So welcome to the Caregiver Dave show. We're so excited to have you on. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. Happy to be here. Um, we like to ask our guests just who is Brooks Kenny and why was she placed on this earth? Wow. Okay. I wasn't prepared for that one. Um, well, uh, I am a mother uh, to two beautiful children, a uh, wife to a wonderful man who I've known since I was 16. Wow. <laughs> um, I have really dedicated my professional and volunteer work to uh, advancing social causes. So I've always been interested in good work and trying to put my talents toward making change. Uh, I've tried to instill that in my kids, in my community, where they go to school. And so my work here at Us Against Alzheimer's really is an extension, I think, of, of who I am and um, really feel excited to, to share more with you today. Yeah. First, let me ask you, what is the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia? There's a lot of uh, confusion about that. Maybe you can clear it up for me and others. Yeah, there sure is. It's a common question. So 
think of dementia as kind of the broader category, and then Alzheimer's is a type of dementia, and it's the most common form of dementia. So there's Lewy body dementia, there's vascular dementia, other types. It's kind of, if you think about cancer, the most common form of cancer might be, I actually don't know, because I'm in the Alzheimer's business, but <laughs> it's Alzheimer's is the most common form of dementia. And oftentimes we don't say the A word, right? So, you know, even in my own personal experience, when my mother-in-law was diagnosed, um, they never said the word Alzheimer's. They actually right. handed us a piece of paper with that word written on it, but they said out loud, she has a little dementia. So there's That's a what they always say. Why is that? Why don't they like way. to say, why don't they like to say the A word, uh, legal liability or what? No, I really think it's more because it is a top 10 leading cause of death in our country. It impacts 6 million people, one in three American families. There's no treatment. There's no cure. And so it, providers, you know, they want to have answers for people. They want to be able to talk about what's next. And unfortunately, there, while there are treatments on the horizon, right now it feels very hopeless. And so, or I shouldn't say right now it feels hopeless, but for so long it has uh, been a disease that providers don't even love to talk about because there's not a lot that can be done. Or at least that's what we thought. But the science is catching up. Uh, new treatments are on the horizon. There's a lot of research being done right now around risk reduction and how early or in the phase of potential decline, we can really impact our brain health. Let me question that statistic there for a moment. Um, what is the average age of an Alzheimer's patient who dies? Do you know that? Is it in their 90s? Yeah, you know, I don't know that number off the top of my head, um, but it's it certainly, I mean, Alzheimer's certainly age is the largest risk factor for the disease, although we are increasingly seeing cases of early onset, which means you're diagnosed before 65, but most people 70 plus are at the higher risk of getting the disease. Yeah, because everyone who I know who gets the disease, um, it seems like they're living forever. You know, and, and it's so hard on caregivers. It's like, oh my gosh, don't get that one because, you know, your your body is typically healthy and your mind is gone. And many times I see that they last into their 90s. And so when you say it's the top uh, 10 uh, causes of death in America, it's like, well, most people die when they're 90 anyway. So is it fair to blame uh, Alzheimer's on that? I don't know. That's just the way my brain thinks. Yeah, anyway, well, you know, but... I think that's, I think it's interesting. And, you know, Dave, I don't think you're alone. I mean, most people, when they picture someone living with Alzheimer's disease, they picture a woman in a wheelchair sitting in a dark room, you know, with the shades drawn. And the reality is that isn't the case. I mean, one of our spokespeople, uh, Doreen Monks, uh, is a 65-year-old woman who has been diagnosed with early onset. She's six years into her diagnosis. She's thriving. Um, yeah. She is really... Uh, doing well, and and it's because she's got diagnosed early and is doing a lot of those things to take care of herself and to ensure her quality of life um, is is intact, and she has a family and uh, community supporting her. So yeah. we really need to shift our perspective on what an Alzheimer's patient looks like because it isn't it isn't only those very old and frail. Yeah, and I'm I'm familiar with that because an actual friend of mine from church, uh, he shared with us recently that his doctor diagnosed him with early onset dementia, and mm -hmm. he's not even 50 yet. And uh, I says, well, what happened? He says, well, I was driving 
uh, home from work and I couldn't remember how to get home. And so, you know, we were concerned. So he got tested and that's what he found out. And that's a scary, scary thing to be that young. Uh, you know, I used to be 48, 49. And <laughs> I had a pretty full life at that time. You know, the kids were still young enough. And and there's, there's nothing more scary than uh, losing your youth to anything, but especially to that. Yeah, and losing your memories, right? I mean, it's just, it is a very scary thing. And so it's why it oftentimes does not get diagnosed. I mean, 60% of Alzheimer's cases go unrecognized. So, yeah. you know, let that sink in for a minute. If if this was cancer, I mean, I'm glad not glad that your friend was diagnosed, but glad that he was diagnosed, it sounds like, in, a, in an earlier phase. And, yeah. you know, when we think about a disease like cancer, and I'm not saying cancer um, is easy, but most of us know stage one, two, three, four, right? And and you know if you got diagnosed stage three or four, that's not great. And yet in Alzheimer's disease, we're not diagnosing early at all. And when we do get, when there is diagnosis, it's usually during some type of chaotic life event that really impacts the family. So talk about the impact on the family caregiver you know, the earlier someone can get di diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease or another form of dementia, the sooner they can get their life organized around that. What does that look like right. for safety? What can I expect in my, what are the next steps in my journey? What local resources are available to me? How can I start thinking about respite for the caregiver now, right? Because yeah. the reality is caregiving for someone living with Alzheimer's disease is a very different activity. Um, there are things you have to learn as a caregiver that you might not have to learn if you were caring for someone with a different um, condition. Yeah. You know, um, I was talking to you before the show about uh, this study for early dementia. Um, what's it, how do they call it? Early onset dementia, how you can mm -hmm. predict it before it happens. And, and, you know, I'm getting tested Am I doing everything that I should do? Because I'm concerned about my memory. I'm forgetting things all the time at 67. Is that normal? And um, I'm getting tested, and they say that there's no cause to worry yet. I got a brain scan, a CAT scan of my brain to have a baseline just in case something happens. They got something to compare it to. Uh, am I doing everything right? Well, that's fantastic um, that you have access to those services, which so many people don't, right? And so I can't, I'm not a doctor uh, and I don't play one on TV or radio. <laughs> but what I will say is that we know that there are risk reduction activities that you can do. So lifestyle, right? Um, exercise. Yeah. Let's there talk about all that, yeah. Yeah, there are new studies that talk about rigorous exercise six days a week being really important for your brain health. Sleep. I mean, sleep. Oh, gosh, let's let's take these. Sleep. Let's back up. Let's take these one at a time. So sure. the rigorous exercise. Define what is rigorous exercise, because that's a definition that many different people have different meanings. Yeah, to. I mean, I think the way it's described in the in the research article is, you know, building up a sweat, you know, where you're 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 not yeah. you're ta you're not able to talk comfortably for 30 minutes at a time. <laughs> so not a stroll, although strolling is probably good for stress and re reducing uh, risk, but but yeah, rigorous exercise, like jogging. So for me like, on the exercise yeah. bike, that would be 40 minutes of just going at a steady pace, sweating, uh, yeah. feeling my heart pumping 100 beats per minute, et cetera. 
Exactly. The blood moving, it's good for the brain. Absolutely. Okay. Then you're going to talk about diet. What should we do about with our diet? Diet. Well, you know, there are lots of different theories out there, but the one that seems to be at the top of the list is the mind diet, which is basically a Mediterranean diet one. with um, foods like salmon, um, uh, leafy greens, nuts, um, not as much processed foods. It's really lim eliminating as much processed foods as we can. Uh -huh. Um, to ensure, you know, berries are fantastic. Uh, there's lots of great resources out there on the MIND diet. You know, I always tell my kids when I give them uh, pink chicken, which basically, Dave, is salmon in our house, I say that's <laughs> really good for your brain. <laughs> so sushi, trying to is sushi them salmon good too, raw? Salmon, I don't know. If, you know, I'm not sure the difference between raw and regular as it relates to brain. I would think it would be the same, but All right, get back to me on that. <laughs> I will. Um, sleep is really critical. Your brain, it's kind of, I think, how did a doctor explain it to me? It's like, you know, when you go through those car washes, when you get to sit in the car and watch yeah. the uh, wipers go around on the yeah, car, sleep helps to kind of clean out the plaque and clean out the brain and consistent sleep. And, you know, many of the sleep studies say going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time and consistently getting seven to eight hours is really good for your brain. And so I will I'm say this pretty is good. not a lot of people know about. Not a lot of people, it's not a regular thing that people say, you know, wake up, wow, I got a great night's sleep. That was so good for my brain. But we <laughs> need people to know that, right? Because it, it'll help. Yeah, so I'm, I'm an unusual caregiver. You see, I'm about 10% of them because 90% of them are not doing well. 30% um, are dying before their loved ones do, and I don't know, roughly 60 or, yeah, about 60% are getting sick, getting hospitalized, and needing a caregiver of their own, so some family members sticking their loved one in a nursing home or something, so they're not getting the good care. About 10% of caregivers really know how to put their oxygen mask on first, how to take care of themselves, how to sleep right. You know, the average caregiver gets two hours of rest, sleep, every single night. I can't survive on that, you know. Many of them don't realize that their loved one belongs in a nursing facility because maybe they have bed sores, maybe they're getting up every two hours. You can't get up every two hours to do a caregiving duty. That's what 24-7 care is for. So yeah, right. I totally agree. So far, I'm doing pretty good on my score here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that uh, and well, I just want to thank you for the work that you do because I have a feeling that those 10% of caregivers that are doing well, I'm, I'm sure they're to listening to a lot of the work that you put out there. Um, I, I so believe in what you say around putting your own oxygen mask on first and, you know, caregivers are so susceptible um, to other diseases and, um, you know, it's it's hard enough to manage the isolation, but then if they if it's compounded by chronic disease, it's going to be, it's that much more stressful, right? For who's going to care for their loved ones. So I fully, I fully embrace that, <laughs> that mantra. Um, what else? Let me see here. So reducing risks and controlling risks, right? So things like smoking, um, alcohol use, hypertension. Oh, let's stop there. Let's stop there. Talk about alcohol use. What's the difference between hard alcohol, scotch, bourbon, wine, beer, how much is good, how much is not good? Because some people are saying a little red wine is good for the heart, right? Is it bad for Alzheimer's? Yeah, you know, you're you're quizzing me and I, I don't yeah. I don't know that I can really <laughs> say with authority uh, what type of alcohol 
I don't want to get in trouble. Get back to me I'm on that one. I'm not going to tell you what's in my liquor cabinet, but I definitely have been known to have a glass of wine now and again. So I would really consult your doctor. Moderation would be a safe estimate. All things Moderation is the is the answer for sure. Okay, because <laughs> I know a friend whose mother is an alcoholic, and that's actually bringing on a form of dementia, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Alcohol no, it definitely excessive use certainly can increase the risk substantially yeah, she certainly has excessive use she's always drinking so mm -hmm. um we've got a minute before our break let's take a, an early break then i want to ask you about brain guide and what is that because that's an interesting concept you've trademarked it so it must be important so we'll be right back don't go away and we're back with brooks kenny and we're talking about her brain guide. What is that? Where did you come up with the name? And what does it all mean? And is it working? Is it something that that we can uh, say finally? Something's here that will tell me before I get it that I'm uh, high risk, etc. Yeah. So brain guide by us against Alzheimer's. It's it's a really simple, easy to use platform, and we really created it for everyone. You know, we know that people are worried about their brain health. We know they're worried about their loved one's brain health. And we know they don't often know the next steps that they may need to take in their journey. So what Brain Guide offers is confidential memory questionnaires that can be taken via a web bot or via a voice bot. So you, you can call an 800 number. You go through a series of questions. Uh, you can take it for yourself or you can take it as a caregiver on behalf of a loved one. And these memory questionnaires are based on validated assessments that are used in a clinical setting today. So they're not validated yet for the voice and the web bot, but they're the exact same things that would be taken in a cl clinical setting. Once you complete the questionnaire, we curate using state-of-the-art technology by Amazon Web Services. We curate content. Think of it as kind of, uh, there's a huge library of, of resources uh -huh. out there. And people can't afford the time to go on Google and try to figure out how to navigate. So we do that work for you. We basically curate the content based on your responses. So whether you take the questionnaire for yourself and you score well, we're gonna give you a set of uh, resources and information related to brain health and all those tips like eating well and exercising and sleep. Yeah. Perhaps you take it for your loved one. Maybe it's for mom or dad who uh -huh. you've been noticing changes in their memory and the score isn't as high. You're gonna get a set of curated content that shows here's how to talk to your loved ones about screening and diagnosis. Here's information you can bring to your doctor. Here's what to expect if you actually go to a doctor to get a workup wow. and here are some of the things that they would do as part of that process. Because most people, if you ask, how do you detect Alzheimer's disease? Most people on the street will not know the answer. And so we want to educate people far and wide. This platform is designed for anyone that is worried about their brain health. We want young people to be even taking it so that they start thinking about their brain as a vital organ. Yeah. Our brains are central to every single thing we do, yet it's the least talked about organ in our, you know, in our family, around the kitchen table. And certainly in our healthcare conversations. And so Brain Guide, I should also note, Dave, it's fully available in English and Spanish. So it's completely okay. translated. It will always be free. It'll always be accessible by visiting mybrainguide.org or by calling 
brain 411 and you can go through an actual voice bot. I don't know. Have you tried it yet? Have you tried the voice bot? Are you going to give it no, a try? No, but I'm going tell? to. I, I just came up with four questions just in the last minute that you were talking. I've got to clear them out here. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll forget them. <laughs> um, so the questionnaire, is it? how does it compare with the tests that they give me every six months, which are kind of long. It takes 30 minutes to go through them. Is it a long uh, questionnaire or a short one? Uh, would yeah. I be able to answer the questions on behalf of somebody else? Are they that simple? You know, because a lot yeah. of them are deep. Yeah, no, it's great. So, so this is an assessment. This is not a screening like you would maybe get in the doctor's office. And we even say that, you know, this is not intended to be the full workup that a, that a provider would do. So if you take it for yourself, it's based on the MIS, which is um, the memory impairment screen. This is uh, copywritten by um, Albert Einstein uh, Medical School. We have license to use it in this format. We ask wow. you uh, a series of questions up front, and then we give you four words to memorize. And then we go through a series of distraction tasks, and then we ask you those four words again. So it usually takes under 10 minutes to go through the questionnaire. If you're calling on behalf, version. correct. It's it gives, but it's, but it, I mean, we, we actually evaluated about 200 of these types of screens that exist out there in the, in the clinical setting. And this one was more sensitive to early uh, Alzheimer's disease. It was more sensitive and appropriate for different um, education yeah. and cultural considerations. So we wanted to pick one that our medical yeah. experts agreed made the, made the most sense. And then so for caregivers. I would call it a short quiz rather than the uh, the test or the screening. Right. It's we call it a memory questionnaire. Yep. Red flags. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Good. This is not a diagnosis, but it is going to give you enough information to take to your doctor. You know, and for the uh, the eighty eight, which is the assessment for the caregiver or the informant questionnaire, is out of um, Washington University under license. And this is largely used by clinicians in the exact format that you'll see on the right. site. And you, we tell you this when you're calling about or taking it on the website, it should be about somebody that you see often. You know, sure. you can't necessarily use it for someone that you talk to on the phone once a week. Sure. It's got to be someone sure. that you see more regularly so that you can reflect back on the questions. All right. Next question I have. Um is uh, you talked about, um, uh, you know, uh, young people. And so I immediately thought of some young people I know who are potheads, they're smoking a lot of pot. I, I was a pothead when I was a teenager. Fortunately, I gave it up 45 years ago. But right. um, th they still don't know how long-term pot usage affects brain and memory, dementia, Alzheimer's. Is that true or, or have they figured it out? Yeah, no, that's true. And and it's also, I think, true that there are different types of marijuana and pot now, right? There's like synthetic. Yeah, it's a lot made stronger, and, I'm told. Yeah, I think it's a lot more dangerous now. And I think they know it does impact the brain negatively. I don't know that they have a full understanding of the extent, but it's dangerous for sad. sure. Sad, sad. And then the other question, I'm sorry, all these questions. Um, the D word, how come you keep using uh, the A word instead of the D word? I'm just curious because you mentioned that nobody likes to see you, but you're using it, you know? Yeah, so, well, um, I'm using it, it in this discussion for a couple reasons. One, 
the the two questionnaires are Alzheimer's specific. Okay. So it is they're specifically created for looking at Alzheimer's as the most common form of dementia. We also talk a lot about brain health when we talk mm -hmm. about um, this this movement, this work, because we did a study across the country and not surprisingly, people were much more susceptible, much more interested, excuse me, in us talking about brain health than Alzheimer's disease, yeah. which is a big reason why we named the platform Brain Guide, because we want people to start thinking about their brains. We want their brains to be top of mind. We want them to feel like they know what the next step is on their journey, hence the name Brain Guide. And we actually yeah. tested it widely across uh, a lot of folks, lots of different ages, ethnicities, incomes to see how it would resonate and how it would resonate with Spanish-speaking audiences as well. Okay. Now, my mom, um, I mean, it sounded like to me she had the same symptoms as Alzheimer's, but they, they never officially tested her. Even my mother-in-law, they never officially tested her. You said, well, why should we test her? I mean, if she obviously has a dementia, no need to actually determine is it Alzheimer's or is this. And, uh, so is it possible my mom and my mother-in-law could have had Alzheimer's but was untested? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, I, I don't, I, again, I'm not a doctor and I don't know sure. what their symptoms were, but 60% of the cases go unrecognized or ignored or people just say, oh, it's just a normal part of aging, but it really isn't. Okay. Not everyone that's old <laughs> has Alzheimer's disease. And my last spontaneous question, because you said uh, these are free, we don't make any money. So my question is, being an entrepreneur, well, how do you make money then if it's all free? <laughs> sure, well, we, we received funding and in-kind support okay. from Biogen. We are currently seeking additional funding to continue the, pro the progress we've made. Um, and AWS, Amazon Web Services, uh, provided the technology to build the first version of the platform. As a nonprofit organization, there are lots of ways we bring revenue into our organization to support our mission. So, you know, we have corporate foundation, government, and individual donors. All right. We're going to take another break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. When we come back, I want to ask you about, um, uh, I forgot what I was going to ask you. <laughs> See how that brain works. Uh, well, we'll figure it out. Okay. Be right back. And we're back with Brooks Kenny. And what was I going to ask you? Oh, I, I know it. I was. I interrupted you when you were going down this long list. And if you can find your way back to where I interrupted you, uh, please continue. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, just wanting to share a little bit more about how Brain Guide was created. We had a medical expert panel of providers from a wide range of specialties. Um, you know, I don't know if your audience knows this, but there are states in our country where we don't even have enough neurologists to serve really? the communities. So we really need to get primary care docs. We need OBGYNs, the, you know, the providers that most women see. If they see one every year, that's usually the one, depending on your age. And so we brought a lot of different physicians together uh, to help us create Brain Guide, to look at our language that we were using, to look at how we presented the results if somebody got a low score on their memory questionnaire. We also did market research. So throughout the process, we did qualitative and quantitative research, testing everything from the voice bot, which I know you're going to call, Dave, 855-BRAIN-411. Of course I'm going to call, yes. I snuck it in. I have um, a personal, uh, do, do the number again. 
855-BRAIN-411 or 855-272-4641. And when you, right. you call, you'll hear a voice. Well, we tested that voice. I had no idea with this amazing uh, Lex technology from Amazon Web Services. You know, they're different voices that have different sounds and pacing, and we tested those. So a lot of market research went into creating this Which to allow for people to feel like it was safe and, and confidential. <laughs> okay, well, this is great. And yes, I am definitely going to use it because, you know, I'm concerned and um, I want to get as many tests as possible and see, you know, get, it's like a second opinion, right? Yeah, and you know, I, I'm so impressed by what you're doing on a regular basis <laughs> to care for your brain. I don't think you're in the majority though, right? No, I mean, I'm most not. people I'm just, tell us, how do you talk about it? How do you raise the topic? So if nothing else, I really hope people will give brain guide a try and then print out the results and bring them to your doctor um, bring them to a loved one and and spark that conversation right just have the conversation so that you yeah. can go to the next step in your journey we i feel so passionately that we have to make a dent in early detection and diagnosis so families don't have to suffer uh in silence and and shame i really think there's hope on the horizon if early detection can become the norm in this disease yeah well, I want to ask you, uh, where are we in early detection? Because a lot of people are just afraid. You know, the ostrich uh, head in the sand. I have an aunt whose doctor recommended she have some tests and, uh, you know, hinted around that uh, it could be uh, cancerous. And people think if they just stop or postpone or ignore cancer that it somehow it's going to go away and they can't do that with this either. So how close are we? You know, sadly, I don't think we're very close. Um, I think it's shifting. I think there's a much stronger narrative now in our country around brain health. I think the science is catching up. So there's more. there are more studies that reinforce risk reduction through lifestyle and controlling risk. But at the end of the day, 60% of the cases are still going unrecognized. Consumers tell us they don't know how to raise the topic. Providers that we have interviewed tell us they don't feel confident talking about memory unless you're a neurologist. Neurologists are fine, but but the doctors that we see more often than neurologists, family practitioners, yeah, they're not comfortable talking about memory. A, they don't have enough time, and B, they're oftentimes not trained. So one of the big things we're doing is putting together risk reduction guidelines for providers so that we can try to help them feel more empowered to raise these topics as well with their patients. So I think we have a long way to go, but the roadmap to getting there is feeling much more clear than it ever has before. Well, and everyone knows, I think, that, because I read it somewhere, that stress is a huge factor in uh, either having it or not having it, you know, either having too much stress or no stress. Uh, is that true? Yeah, and, and we know that, I mean, there, we have a neurologist that we work with who often says the number one thing she talks to her patients about is reducing stress. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is a leading cause of so many health issues, Alzheimer's being among them. So, you know, yes, it's good for your, it's good for your brain to learn new wow. things because that gets your synapses firing, but that's different than being in a constant state of stress. So anything we can do, and I tell people, you know, again, I'm not a doctor, but you don't have to adopt a full-on 24-7 or seven-day-a-week meditation practice. But maybe get up from your desk, 
three times a day and take a deep breath. <laughs> you know, you say it so well, just keep breathing. You know, if there are ways that we can kind of reduce our stress, I think it will yeah. have an impact on our quality of life for sure. That's our motto here. Just keep on breathing. <laughs> I love it. Um, I love it. <laughs> so what is the youngest person you've ever heard of come up with uh, early onset dementia? I mentioned you my 48-year-old friend. There was some, there was, there was a story recently, not that recently, about a woman in her thir early 30s who, who developed Alzheimer's wow. disease. Yeah. And so, that is, I mean, is it that can happen. Unusual? I mean, obviously that, it's, it's rare, but it rare? can happen. And they, they don't know why it happens to a 30-year-old and they don't know why it happens to a 65-year-old, right? Right. I mean, I do think the presence of um, the APO4 gene increases the likelihood that it would be earlier, but I think there's still a lot we don't know. Wow. And and I don't even know if my mother's was uh, was genetic, right? Because mm -hmm. her mother and her, well, her father only lived to 65, so that's not fair to wonder if he would have gotten it, but her mother was 100, almost 100 years old, 97, and she was sharp as a tack, but wow. um, I think my mother took more after my father because, you know, she didn't act like her mother. She acted more like her father. So who knows? It could be genetic, wow. which means I could be at risk, too. And like I said, at 67, I'm already starting to see memory stuff. But they say, and I'm sure you'll tell me if this is true or not, if you forget things, but then you later remember them, you're okay. But if you forget things and it never comes back, it's like a hole on your hard drive, Danger Will Robinson, right? Yeah, and okay. there's a, that's true. And there's a couple other ways you can think about it that I've been um, I've been fortunate enough to to learn from from the experts in our community. So you know, if you forget where you put your keys, right? How many times does that happen? A lot. It's probably not a big deal. It's probably more that you were distracted when yes. you put your keys down. Distraction because is we big. Are yes. all victims of multitasking, right? So if you're not paying attention to where you put your keys and you can't find them, it's probably okay. If you don't remember what the keys are used for, Ooh. that's where there might be a problem. <laughs> if you can't remember where you parked your car, not probably not a huge deal but if you don't remember why you were even in the place that your car is parked if you don't remember what the car is supposed to do probably something that you need to get checked That's so there's good. there's nuances i mean it's normal for our our memory to shift a little as we get older but it's but we have to be focused on things like paying attention not multitasking and then really if you forget what something is used for or or why you're even there in the first place that's a little bit more of a concern now i know people i know movies i know actors names and, and many times i cannot tell you the name of the actor who starred in gone with the wind i know it's clark gable but uh, there have been times that name was just not there and, mm -hmm. and later on it would come back but uh, i don't have to worry about that right I don't think so. I mean, I think it's really more the day to day if, if something really drops, like you said, you know, and something that's not normal for you. Like I, for example, like I'm terrible at trivia, but I've been terrible at trivia since I started playing with my husband's family when I was 16. I'm never going to be good at trivia. But if I was good at trivia my whole life and then all of a sudden I'm not, that's something we need to pay attention to, right? So thinking about what you do normally and if the, if if 
your day-to-day normal starts to look different, that's something to pay attention to. So my canary in the uh, coal mine is my piano. I, I don't know a lot of songs. I know three songs on my piano. And if I don't practice them at least once a month, it's like, oh, no. You know, so uh, if I start forgetting how to play a song, then I think that's a Danger Will Robinson moment also. Would you agree? I mean, again, I, you'd have to ask your doctor. But, yeah, I mean, if you play three songs every month and you know how to play them and then all of a sudden it's not there for you, that's something you probably want to pay attention to. All right. I think you should add break. a new song once a month. That's good for your brain. It's so hard to. <laughs> we're going to take a break. Hold on. Don't go away. And we're back with Brooks Kenny. We're talking about brain health, Alzheimer's, dementia, things we should do, things we should not do. And um, just gave me advice of a new song. I've been telling myself to learn a new song that I am sick of these three songs, but um, it takes time. I mean, I'm not a natural piano player. Uh, it takes me like, it took me a whole year to learn Malaganya to give you an idea. So wow. it doesn't come easy for me. Right. So to start a new song, unless it's a really short song, but I will, I'll take your advice and I'll do it. Okay, good. I'm the interest glad to of hear brain. It. <laughs> um, <laughs> where does uh, Alzheimer's fall in the spectrum of the most costly and deadly diseases, right? We know cancer is way up there. We know the Alzheimer's Association has been collecting tons of money, and they're very good in their fundraising, uh, much better than uh, any organization for caregivers. And we know caregivers are in real bad shape, and there's there's not as much recognition as there is in dementia and uh, the Alzheimer's Association. They do a great job. But what are they doing with all this money? And are we any closer? I can say the same thing about cancer. What are they doing with all this money? But uh, you can see some progress with cancer, early detection, et cetera. Uh, chances are you're going to live. But what is the what is the uh, the Alzheimer's Association? Uh, are they having any victories? So they do great work. Um, we collaborate with them um, a lot. Our we sit on the World Dementia Council with them. Uh, we sit on the Napa Advisory Council, which is focused on a national goal around um, around Alzheimer's. You know, I can't, I don't know specifically what they're doing in terms of research funding. I will say, I think as an advocacy organization, there are, you know, many patient advocacy groups, including the association and Us Against Alzheimer's and many others. We all advocate for more research dollars in this space. You know, we believe strongly that we need to put Alzheimer's at the top of the list. Uh, we were thrilled that President Biden talked about Alzheimer's in his recent speech. Um, you know, we want brain health and Alzheimer's and research. We want this disease to get um, the national attention, the global attention that it deserves because we don't want millions of families left behind. You know, one of our, one of our um, uh, per per person living with the disease, Doreen, who helped guide us on the development of Brain Guide, she has a great quote uh, that was featured on Good Morning America where she said, you know, there's six million of us. You can't just put us in a corner. Um, you need to bring us out and start telling our stories. And if you think about most patient advocacy groups, people living with the disease, people living with breast cancer and their care partners are oftentimes, you know, at the front of the story. But how many times do we see someone living with Alzheimer's disease out front and center? 
If you really think about it, we don't, right? I mean, we might hear about them if they're a celebrity. You know, we all heard about Pat Summit, Tony Bennett. I mean, they're people that, you know, they're so brave for coming forward. Yeah. Or we great aren't... movies like the, the Notebook, for example. Exactly. And the father that just won an Academy, you know, um, Anthony Hopkins that just won an Academy Award and um, still Alice. I mean, there's some amazing books and um, entertainment, which I think will also help shift this conversation and allow us to start talking about it more. That's a wonderful, you know, benefit of entertainment. And I really applaud the entertainment industry for doing more of that. The reality is, we're not telling the everyday stories. And so the more yeah. we can reduce stigma and get these stories told, I think the better we all are. That's because the actors and the producers and the directors all have parents who are going through this. And so it's it's hot on their minds, yep. so to speak. Well, we're, we're in the home stretch here. We only have minutes to go. Um, <laughs> what What would you like to say that I haven't already asked you that you would like to say? Well, I'd like, I'd like your... Um, audience to know that when we created Brain Guide from the very beginning, we had a focus on health equity. Health equity has been a pillar of our work at Us Against Alzheimer's since we were founded in 2010. And we wanted to ensure that this would be available to all communities. I mean, it is stunning to me that by 2030, um, 40% of cases of Alzheimer's disease will be with Latino or Black Americans. And that's a stunning statistic that's pretty unacceptable from our, unacceptable from our point of view. And so we wanted to make this service accessible. Um, we will always, it'll always be free. It will always have stakeholders from a wide range of communities to keep us focused on you know, cultural sensitivity and relevance. And so I hope that it's used by, um, by millions of people already just out of the gate. We're about three weeks in, we've already reached 70,000 people wow. um, who have visited Brain Guide and started to participate in the memory questionnaire. So it's only a dent, but we have big, big dreams for this platform. Good for you. Appreciate you coming on the show. Um, how can someone contact you or learn more about uh, Brain Guide other than the 855-BRAIN-411 phone number to actually take part in it? So yeah, you can visit uh, mybrainguide.org and take the memory questionnaire. There's also a contact email there. You're welcome to reach out uh, to Brooks Kenny at Us Against Alzheimer's. And of course you can dial the 800 number as well and um, would love to have folks uh, give it a try. The 855 number. The eight, oh, I want you to try the 855, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> All and, right. And certainly visit the website and, and check out the resources and take the memory questionnaire. Thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on the show. You were a wealth of information. I learned a lot. And as you know, I am an interested party. I have got uh, a stake to protect, so to speak, because I don't want to end up like uh, my mother. And again, thank you. And for everyone else, thank you for tuning in on the show. We will see you next time. God bless you. Bye-bye. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe a power greater than what you are going through when you don't.
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.